it's really good to see you today. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're so glad you're here, especially at Christmas. Christmas is just a time to celebrate. It's got so many great things going on. Next Sunday night, we've got a, we got a musical going on here, Christmas Eve. Uh, the 4 o'clock service is gone. They're out. Man, sorry about that. But the 5 and 6, plenty of tickets. Just come and celebrate with us. It's just a great time. Um, the Christian faith, uh, one of the things that makes it so unique, and uh, one of the things that separates it from all other philosophies, religions, faiths, and all religions are not the same. It's an insult to every religion to ever think we're all the same. Christianity has four kind of ultimate truths that we, we were built on. And it really in, 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 it are like pillars that you, that you would build a building on. You take any one of these pillars out, the building crumbles. Two of these truths we share with uh, Judaism. And it's, it's the understanding that, uh, of revelation that God revealed himself to us. And it's the understanding of creation, that God created everything out of nothing. But two of the truths are unique to our faith, to Christianity. There's nothing, no, nobody else has anything like them. One of them is the incarnation, which we celebrate at Christmas. The other is the resurrection, which we celebrate at Easter. The resurrection, that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, was raised back to life. The incarnation, that Jesus is God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, come for our salvation. And both of these are critical. If you have an incarnation but no resurrection then what was the purpose of Jesus coming? It doesn't do anything for us. We're still caught in our sins. There's no payment made for our sinfulness. If you have a resurrection but no incarnation, then all you really have is another miracle of God. You have other resurrections in, in, this, in Scripture. Uh, Old Testament and New Testament, both have people being raised back to life. And so that, that's great, but it still doesn't do anything for us. And so the incarnation, the resurrection come together. And at Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation, Jesus, God, in the flesh. We're in a series entitled Born, uh, Mary Had a Baby. And we're looking in Luke chapter 1 and, and last week and this week and next week, chapter 2, um, about the birth of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ. Last week we talked about uh, the virgin. Uh, and this week when we look at Born, Mary Had a Baby, we're going to come and look at the sun. And we're going to continue in uh, Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 34. The first verses ahead of that talked about the fact that the virgin is going to have a child. Here's what we say. Mary said to the angel who came to Mary, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason, or that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold... I am the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so here's the thing that I want you to see from the message today. It's very simple. This is a doctrinal message. This is a message about a teaching that is central to the Christian faith, whether you know, you're a part of the church or not, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or not, whether you're not even a Christian, but you're just kind of coming and seeing what's going on. This is, this is critical. God decided, God decided that the virgin birth of Jesus was necessary for our salvation. God decided that the virgin birth of Jesus was necessary for our salvation, so believe it. Okay? But God decides something. It's pretty good to believe it. So what I'm going to do today is this message, and kind of chop it up into three sections. And so the first thing I want to talk about is the issue. Because the virgin birth is an issue that some people struggle with. Even within Christianity, there are people who teach at colleges, who teach New Testament or theology, people in seminaries, uh, 
in, not in Baptist life, and we're Baptists, not in our life, but in other, other strains of life who, who question different things about the virgin birth. In fact, um, one of the things that uh, we can see is this. A guy named Peter Finch, a French, has a quote. Here it is. I'm going to put it up on the screen there. Jesus could have come to earth in any number of ways. What difference would it make? Jesus could have come to earth in any number of ways. What difference does it make? And this is the thing that we hear sometimes, even within Christianity. Why did the virgin birth have to be the way? Why is it necessary to believe Jesus could have come some other way? And so there is fundamentally, for the message today about the virgin birth, three questions that we need to ask and answer. And here they are. Did the virgin birth really happen? Was it real? Is it necessary for our salvation? Is it a necessary component for us to be saved from our sin? And thirdly, is it necessary for us to believe it? Do we have to believe it? I entered into the ministry in 1980 when I was 19 years of age. I was very young. And uh, I entered ministry in my first church as a Southern Baptist about the time that the Southern Baptist convention, our denomination, it was going through a transition and through a battle. Now, if you're not Baptist, you don't care. And I get it because I honestly don't care either. And if you are Southern Baptist, you may not even know about it. You probably don't care to know about it, but it's kind of important for what I'm about to say. My entire ministry life has been built into a system where there has always been some degree of struggle over the direction of our convention, especially in the young days. In 1989-90, our convention kind of began to depart, and another group began to form in the early 90s called the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Now, as a young minister, I had great respect and great admiration for a lot of men and women on both sides of the issue. In 1992, at the young age of 31, I had the privilege and honor of going to the First Baptist Church of Laredo, Texas to be its pastor. This is, it was an unbelievable church, and I was way out of my depth. You may still think I'm out of my depth, but, uh, but, but back then I was really out of my depth. And so here I was, and I didn't know what to do. And in 1993, as the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship began to form, uh, they had a meeting, an information meeting, in San Antonio, which is two hours from Laredo, at Trinity Baptist Church. And so I went there, and the man, st- here's some information, the man speaking uh, was the pastor that I knew well, didn't know him personally, knew well, great admiration and respect for, still due to this day, he's gone to be with the Lord, and, and his name was Cecil Sherman. And he had been the pastor of Broadway Baptist Church in Fort Worth, at that time a, a great church, a leading church, you know, all that stuff. And he was being asked questions, and he was answering. And one of the questions he was asked is this, so to the effect of, is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship going to deny the virgin birth of Jesus? It's an interesting question, and I was kind of fascinated what was the answer was going to be. Here's what he said. I personally believe in the virgin birth of Christ. Understand, he believes in it. But he said this. But it is not necessary for this to have occurred. God could have done it some other way. And the minute he said this, I just shut everything out completely. Because here's what I know. There are four fundamental truths of the Christian faith that we're built upon, and one of them is the incarnation of Christ, which is the virgin birth. And the minute you start to take away from that, you begin to have problems within the Christian faith. And I always thought, how, how do you know God could have done it some other way? How, how are we sinful humans with such limited knowledge about God? Remember, the doctrine of Revelation says this, all I can know about God is what God reveals to me. And God has never revealed he could have done it some other way. I've read the Gospels at least twice, you know. And nowhere in there is there anywhere that God, God could have done it some other way. So how do we know that? And why is it important to deny the virgin birth of Jesus? Why do we need to take away from that? And what happens? Where does it go? What else do we begin to deny? 
So this then is the issue. So what we need to do then, really, to understand those three questions that we ask, is to come to the evidence. Because evidence always matters. Now, understand, the ultimate evidence we'll see in just a moment is found in, in the Gospels. But there's other things we know. For instance, in 117 AD, a man, in there about 117, a man named Ignatius, he was an early church father. You probably don't care, but he was an important early church father. He died. He fought against a lot of the false teachings, what we call heresies, that had begun to sprung up within the early stages of Christianity. I mean, there were false teachings everywhere. And one of the false teachings had to do with the birth of Jesus. And by his death, before he died, Ignatius firmly established the fact that it was the belief of the early church, of the other church fathers, the guys after the apostles and all them, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. To them, that was settled. Anything against that was heresy. Well, heresies and false teachings kept going on for centuries. And by the end of the fourth century, there were two great statements, two great creeds. Now, we're Baptists, and we don't technically like creeds. We don't. In fact, I, I can remember all my life hearing, we got no creed but the Bible. That's our creed. I heard that. Some, you know what happens when you say something like, we got no creed but the Bible enough times? It becomes a, I don't know, creed. <laughs> But there were two great creeds, the Nicene Creed and the Apostolic Creed, the Apostles' Creed. Some of you grew up in traditions that quoted the Apostles' Creed all the time. And Debbie, my wife, uh, she, her, she grew up a little bit Lutheran, and she went to Lutheran church for a while. They, uh, they said that all the time. She still basically knows it. It is a great creed. I know as a Baptist, I'm not supposed to say that. But I, as a Baptist, believe in the priesthood of the believer. I can say whatever I want. So here's the thing. It's a great creed. It's historically accurate, except for one little part. It's really good creed. And, and here's what that creed, the Nicene Creed, said. It affirmed the virgin birth of Jesus. That's so important because it's saying this is settled. This is the fundamental doctrine of our faith. Why? Because this is what the New Testament says. Two Gospels, Matthew and Luke, talk about it. Now, people will say, well, John doesn't talk about the virgin birth. John wrote about 25 to 30 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When John wrote, heresies about the nature of Christ, which is connected to the virgin birth, began to form. So in the beginning of John's gospel, here's what John says. In the beginning was the word, that's Jesus. The word was with God, and the word what? Was God. The word, Jesus, is God. Always has been for all eternity. And then in verse 14, John says, and the word became something that never become before. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten full of grace and truth that's jesus god in the flesh so john's affirming the nature of jesus which is traced back to his birth found in matthew and luke now people say well mark never talked about the virgin birth because mark wrote him a shorter gospel people say paul didn't write about it well in galatians 4 4 he kind of does but paul's letters always deal with problems in the early 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 church in the 40s 50s and 60s this wasn't a problem People question the resurrection. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes about the resurrection. No one questioned the birth of Jesus. Matthew and Luke tell us about the birth. Matthew tells us from the perspective of Joseph. Joseph engaged to Mary, finds out Mary's pregnant. He ain't the father. What is he going to assume? He's going to assume Mary cheated on him. No man assumes a miracle. No man in the history of being a man has ever assumed that when their girlfriend, their wife, their girl they're engaged to, fiance, says, I'm pregnant, and they ain't the father, they have never assumed a miracle. Doesn't happen. 
So the angel comes to him to say, it's of the Holy Spirit. And you know what he says? He says, okay, I believe you. And so we understand that. Luke gives an account from Mary's perspective. Now, Luke tells us at the very beginning of his gospel, I've investigated things thoroughly. You ever wonder where Luke got the story about Mary from? Most likely Mary. Mary would have been in her late 70s, early 80s when Luke did all this stuff. What he wrote has a kind of firsthand account. And so in verse 34, I mean, he talks about early in verse 26 through, you know, verse 33, you know, about, about how Mary's going to have a child. He's going to be called the Holy One. He's going to be God. He's going to be the Messiah. Going to have the throne of his father David, all that stuff. So he comes to her, and he tells her all this. And in verse 34, Mary says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. You know, the very first person to ever question the virgin birth of Mary was uh, Mary. She wasn't doubting. She asked a really good question. I'm a virgin. Gabriel, I'm a virgin. I can't have a child. How's this going to happen? Because here's what Mary knew. There's no way she could have a child without a guy's involvement. And that's still true. We all know that today. That's still true today. And I know we, we're, we're so cute and we think we're so fancy. Well, you know, preacher, a girl can be a virgin and have an artificial insemination. Yeah, here's a clue. Here, a guy is still involved. You know that, right? The artificial isn't artificial intelligence, which evidently you have. It's not the artificial. The guy is still technically involved. It has to be. So how can this be, Mary said? And then verse 35, phenomenal verse. It's just unbelievable. It's so simple. So beautifully written in the, in the Greek and the English. In fact, almost every English translation translates it the same way. Maybe a slight difference in one or two words. It says, well, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow, NIV says, hover over you. Now, notice this. The way this is written now, it's written in this grammar matters. I know the way I speak, it don't sound like it matters too much. But trust me, just because I ain't got good grammar don't mean it don't matter. It matters. <laughs> Greek, it really matters. What you have here is something called, you know, a synoptic parallelism. There's two statements that are parallel that mean the same thing. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's a statement. And then next to it, it says, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Those two statements say the exact same thing. It's emphatic. It means that this is really important. And notice, it's just simple. There's no complexity. The Holy Spirit is going to allow you to conceive. And that's it. There's no details, nothing else. Some people will say, even within Christianity, well, you know, the birth accounts of Jesus, you know, it's similar to what you find in almost every religion, you know, in paganism, you know, those accounts. I mentioned it before, when I was in seventh grade, uh, I studied uh, Greek mythology uh, both years of seventh grade. I did that, as a matter of fact. And so, here's the thing, not really. It was just a year and a half. I got credit for time served. So, <laughs> so in Greek mythology, Zeus, the, the big dog god, has kids. If some of you know Hercules. You like Hercules? Uh, Clash of the Titans, Perseus, or Perseus, whatever his name is. I can't pronounce all those Greek words, even though I know Greek. Can't do that. But those guys were demigods. They were the son of Zeus. Zeus took some human form, and he had a physical relationship with some woman. Sometimes he actually, you know, assaulted them. I'll say it that way, out of politeness. And that's what he did. Well, that's nothing like what you see here. That's completely different. It just says the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And then it says this. The holy child to be born will be called the son of God. The holy child. The holiness is so important. The idea of holiness 
is the idea of being separate. God is holy. He is separate to himself, complete, perfect. The child is holy. No children or other child are holy. We got a lot of babies here. I see some now. You babies are so cute. And I know they're special. And from what I hear, every one of your babies is the smartest baby in this church. Every one of your babies needs to be advanced through Wombaland into a higher grade. I got that. None of your babies, don't be offended when I say this, none of your babies are holy. They're not even close. Jesus, holy. Why? Because he's God. He's going to be called the son of God. He's going to be called. This guy's God. Now, he's going to be born to Mary. The holy child born is going to be called holy. And then the angel said this. And just so you understand, let me give you some assurance. Elizabeth, who is your cousin or a relative, it says, I mean, probably cousin, who is past the age to be able to have a child. She's too old to have kids. She is with child. So if you ever go back to the first part of the the Gospel of Luke and, and you look at this stuff about why is that stuff about Elizabeth there? Well, now you know. Because, hey, that's important. And then then the angel says this. This is fantastic. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. The struggle people have with the resurrection and the virgin birth is because they're impossible and they're correct. For you and I, they're impossible. The issue is, do you believe that God can do the impossible? And many people, even Christians, or Excuse me, people who call themselves Christians don't think God can do the impossible. If you don't believe that God can do the impossible, you don't believe that he did the impossible, you can't really be a follower of Christ. Now, you may say that's a pretty bold statement, yeah? It's a pretty true statement. Because when you believe that God can't do what God does and did and will do, You're in open rebellion against God. You just are. Nothing is impossible with God. And then Mary said, you know what? I am the bond slave. I am the servant of my Lord, my God. Whatever you want to do, I'll do. I talked about Mary last week, about the courage you took. Now, you know what Mary didn't probably do? Is, Is go home and tell her mommy and her daddy. I don't know how that conversation would go. Mom, dad, I'm pregnant. And by the way... The Holy Spirit is the Father. That's not going to work. She didn't go tell Joseph because Joseph's not going to believe her. She went to see her cousin Mary because Mary would probably believe her. That's why she went. She said, I'm going to do exactly what you said. God, I'm going to serve you that way. Here's the thing. When you deal with the evidence, whether you believe it or not, Luke and Matthew clearly teach a virgin conception and birth. Clearly. This is indisputable. It's undeniable. They teach it. The issue for many is whether or not it's true. Whether or not you're going to believe that to be true. So as I move from the issue to the evidence, I want to move then to the significance. Because it matters. Because the fundamental statement is, God could have done it some other way. It wasn't necessary. You ever hear the saying, beauty's in the eye of the beholder? Necessity is always in the eye of God. I'm pretty sure that the only one who ever gets to decide what is truly necessary is God. And it's kind of like, and I know some things we could say, well, you know, God, you know, God could have done something some other way. It's kind of like this. If you're in our parking lot, 
and you want to exit, you know, you got two choices. Hopefully the parking guys can point both ways. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist that cheap shot. But you, got, you can go east, you know, to the mountains or west to the not mountains, okay? doesn't matter which way you go. And you, can, you, know, you could say, could God had more or less apostles? Yeah, I don't think our salvation in the history of Christianity depended on exactly 12. Come to the Christmas story. Did, did, did he have to have the wise men? I mean, what if the wise men didn't come? Uh, you know, I don't know that the wise men are a necessity for my salvation. But certain things do with my salvation. It's kind of like this. If you were to say to me, I need to go to White Sands Monument, and I want to touch the sand, and i got two hours, and I'm only going to drive the speed limit. I'm going to say there's only one way to make that happen. You hit 70, you go east. When you get there, you get out, touch the sand, hop in your car, and come back. You can make it in two hours driving the speed limit. Now, some people might say, well, you know what? There are other ways to get there. You can go to El Paso. Yeah, but you can't do that in two hours and get back. Not driving the speed limit. Now, I can probably get there in two hours and back. Not driving the speed limit. There's only one way. It is a necessity that you do it that way. Now, here's the thing about when it comes to our salvation, certain things are a necessity because God determines that. I'm never comfortable telling a holy God who always tells what is perfectly holy what he could and could not do. Here's the thing. The virgin birth is still a natural birth. It is a supernatural conception. Okay? And it's important because in that process, there's a guarantee of who Jesus is. See, in order for us to be saved, we need for God to do something. But in order to be saved, humans have to to pay the price. You You need God in the flesh. Now, To say that God could have done it some other way is to ignore the fact that you and I can't guarantee that process of God being fully God, fully man, which and the promise of that, which is a necessity for us to help people understand who Jesus is. For instance, shortly after the Gospels were written, heresies, false teachings began to develop about who Jesus is. Some people deny that Jesus was human which is called asceticism. He only appeared as human, and some deny that he was deity, and that God adopted Jesus after he was born. So here's the thing. If you think that Jesus was never fully human, that he just kind of appeared, that he was this emanation of some spirit that kind of just floated around, then the virgin birth, the conception part, guarantees that divinity. You can say, no, he's deity because it's the Holy Spirit. I can guarantee you he's God because the Holy Spirit is the Father. And so that's what they did. That's what Irenaeus and Ignatius and Polycarp and others and the Apostles' Creed said. No, no, no. He didn't just seem to be human. He was human. The Holy Spirit was his father. If you deny his deity, like many do and still do, and say he was just a great man, kind of adopted by God or whatever, you say, no, 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 no. I mean, excuse me, that, that, what I said earlier about denying that he was God, the virgin birth part, Mary does that. Mary, Mary guarantees that he was human, Okay. If you deny that he is human, the Holy Spirit guarantees that he is uh, fully God. So if you say that no, he was only human, if Jesus was only human and wasn't God, the Holy Spirit guarantees that he was God. If you say no, he was God but he wasn't human, the virgin birth, the Mary part, her part guarantees the humanity of Jesus. So it's important. See, the virgin birth assures us of the nature of Jesus. He is fully God and fully man. The virgin birth assures us of that. Mary assures us that he is human. The Holy Spirit assures us that he is God. And so together, that argues against any taking away from his humanity or his deity. And that matters. So 
Is the virgin birth necessary for our salvation? The answer is yes. It clearly is necessary. The next question would be, is it necessary for us to believe it? The answer is both no and yes. No, it's not necessary to believe it in order to be saved. It's just not. Mark's gospel doesn't mention the virgin birth. You can read the gospel of Mark and be saved. Never know that Jesus was born of a virgin. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, when he preached a message, he said, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And he says, what should we do? He says, repent, and then go be baptized on the account of forgiveness of your sins. He never mentions the virgin birth. Paul, in the book of Romans, in chapter 9, writes, he tells us this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with your heart you believe and are justified, and with your mouth you confess and are saved. He never mentions the virgin birth. Rarely do I ever find myself in talking to someone about Christ and trying to help them become a believer talk about the virgin birth because it's not necessary that they believe it in order to be saved. But once you're saved, then the answer is yes, you need to believe it because it is true. And we believe truth. And if you deny the virgin birth, you are denying one of the fundamental truths of our faith. And so if you're going to call yourself a follower of Christ, you need to believe it. Because if you don't believe it, you're in open rebellion against God and you have a problem. So here's, the, here's I like to simplify things as much as possible. So here's how I simplify it to me. When God reveals something to us about our salvation, believe it. Revelation, one of the fundamental pillars of our faith. In the revelation, Jesus was born of a virgin. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it. Now, with that said, I'll make three statements that I hope can help clarify a little bit about the importance of it to us. The first is this. The virgin birth, it is evidence of God's grace. said last week, the, Holy Spirit, the, the angel comes to Mary and says, hey, hey, Mary, how you doing? God's grace is upon you. The grace of God is not something we earn, something we deserve. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We didn't deserve to have Jesus come into this world to save us. It is purely an act of God's grace. It is his grace of deciding I'm going to save them. Jesus came. It is also, it is evidence of our sin. We are fully sinners. We can never forget that. And because of our sinfulness, something had to be done that only God can do. And, and Jesus coming did that. So we are sinners. And the virgin birth reminds us that we're sinners. The virgin birth is something else. It is evidence of our faith. When we trust Christ. And we have that assurance and knows that he saves us. And we come in contact with the teaching of the virgin birth. We declare, I believe that to be true. Now, you can believe in the virgin birth and not be a Christian. I get that. But you can't deny the virgin birth and be a Christian. That seems pretty evident, right? You don't have to believe it in order to be saved. But once you're saved, it is the evidence of your salvation. So here's what I want to encourage you this Christmas time. If you believe Jesus is your Savior, then... Believe the virgin birth was necessary for your salvation. Because that's what Luke teaches us. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, believe the virgin birth was necessary for your salvation. Now, for some, the issue is to believe that Jesus is Savior. 
And so what I want to share with you is that one, some of you, what you need to do today is come to a place in your life where you acknowledge truly that Jesus is Lord. And you need to, at this Christmas time, what a great time to do this, at Christmas, to recognize that truly Jesus is the Savior of life. That's why he came. So some of you today need to put your faith and put your trust in Christ. If you've never done that, in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And you can come and say, I want to give my life to Jesus and trust him to save me. You can do that right where you are. You can, you can sit there or stand and say, I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior. You can do that. You can come talk to one of us. You can do that and give your life to Christ. For some of you, you're already a believer in Jesus. You're, you're already a Christian, but you struggle with this. And I get this. You struggle, and maybe you've kind of thought, I don't know that it's necessary. But here's the thing. Maybe now at Christmas, with such clarity from the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, you need to come today and say, you know, praise God, I, I do believe it's true. I struggle with some things. But I'm going to step out on faith, and since you've saved me, I'm going to believe that this was necessary for my salvation. And affirm in your life the truth, the doctrinal truth, that the virgin birth was necessary for you to be saved. Now, for all of us who are followers of Christ, I don't know how often you've done this, but maybe at Christmas, and we're going to celebrate Jesus, which we should, one of the ways you can celebrate is by celebrating the birth of Christ as the incarnation. You can, you can say, God, I praise you and thank you for your grace of saving me a sinner. And maybe today when you sing, you can just, in part of your singing, don't just sing without thinking, but in your singing, just declare in your heart and praise God that he did it. When was the last time you thanked God for sending Jesus? When was the last time you praised God for sending Jesus. And maybe on an invitation is the time for you to do that. If you want to come forward and pray with one of us, we will. And if you want to come and join our church, we have someone do that at 8.30, you can. I don't know what it is that you need to do. But since this is Christmas, this is what I absolutely want to affirm for you. You need to walk out of this place today believing in the virgin birth of Christ. So, Father, thank you. For our salvation, your gift to us undeserved. Knowing that the Holy Spirit guarantees the deity of Christ. And that Mary guarantees the humanity of Christ. And any arguments, any disagreement are nothing but false teachings. Because the virgin birth guarantees Jesus to be fully God, fully man. And in that guarantee, we have the guarantee that we can come in faith to trust him. And the assurance that we can believe. So Father, work in our hearts. Some things are just meant to be believed. Some things are so true is that we have to have faith and confidence in them. And ultimately we have to have faith and confidence in you. So speak to our hearts. Move in our life. Let us affirm this great truth. And let us believe in Jesus as Savior. In whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? I'll be at the front to greet you. You come.